Hey guys, it's Ari Savir and you're listening to the All Blacks Podcast. Welcome to the All Blacks Podcast. I'm JP Tocker and I've got Andy Burt with us. And today we've got someone very special. He, um, he's only played club rugby, but he's played a fair bit of international test cricket and he's a bit of a legend. His name is Brendan McCullum. Do we call you Baz? How do, how do we get to a uh, sort of short name basis? No, no, Baz is good, but I reckon you say a very, very special guest to every single person you get on. So um, <laughs> you know, I think we'll just stick with Baz and leave the compliments at the door, eh? <laughs> uh, oh, it's, it, mate, this is the All Black podcast, but look, me and Andy, uh, we're absolute cricket tragics, mate, and um, we're, we're a big fan of you and everything you stand for, so it's, uh, it is pretty exciting for both of us. Absolutely. Hey, mate, just to kick straight in, the reason why we've got you on is because you're back playing rugby after about 18 years, mate. Tell us about that. What, what are you up to there? <laughs> yeah, well, I had, uh, I had a couple of months in between tournaments, and... Um, I've always sort of said I'd love to go back and have another have another um, crack at rugby where you can sort of just you know be around the change room and play with um, cool bunch of people and just sort of rip into it. And so actually, the one of my mates is a manager of the uh, the Matter Matter B side here, so um, he's a bit short on numbers and he said, well, "Why don't you line up?" And me being me, sort of reasonably impulsive, decided, "Yeah, this is a great idea." So. <laughs> And then, uh, you know, so we managed to strip up the first day. We lost the um, lost that game, won our last three. And uh, I think now's the right time for me to finish for the season, though, because I've got a tournament in four weeks. And this morning, I could hardly even get out of bed. I was that sore from, <laughs> from probably just a little bit more confidence getting into it again and so you get a little bit more in the contact, don't you? And then next thing, yeah. struggling to get out of bed on the on this Monday. But it was good fun. The first up loss, then three wins in a row, and obviously um, you're going to knock it on the head for the season now with the C- uh, Caribbean Premier League coming up. But, mate, will you be back in it next year, do you think? Yeah, I'd like to. I, I love what the whole um, you know sort of uh, grassroots rugby stands for. I mean, we sat in the change room after the last game and so such diverse sort of cultures and ethnicities sitting around the, the change room and everyone sort of, coming together for a common cause. I guess that's very much what our country founded on. It's nice to be able to um, do that after having a cricket career and just sort of reconnect with what rugby was all about. And and uh, I'd like to be able to do it again next year, all going well. Beautiful. And plenty of parallels with, I guess, grassroots club cricket as well there, mate. You know, um, for me, some of my most memorable memories of playing cricket are hanging out in the change room with the lads after the game, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, I mean... To be honest, that's what got me involved in team sport anyway. It was my old man was a first class cricketer and we'd always me and my brother we would always sort of bang around the the change room and the and the you know the club grounds and you get to see what it was all about at the end of the game. I guess you know, I never remember any of his results or anything, but you always remember the, the fond memories of people sitting around and just sort of laughing and joking and I guess that's what it's like to be a part of a team sport and rugby being so dear to our hearts as Kiwis, um, it's nice to be able to sort of jump back into it and just experience it all again. Mate, we've got a, we've got a little section here called Try or No Try, and uh, what we'll do is we'll ask you like some questions and and you just agree or disagree with Try or No Try, pretty pretty straightforward. Uh, we've got a little bit of a list here, um, some interesting ones, isn't it? U, UFC? Uh, no Try. Oh, No Try. No Try. Uh, next up, Game of Thrones. Uh, try. Try. Oh, Are you? Did you keep? Do you keep up to date? 
No, no, I lost my way a little bit, but still a fan. Yeah, okay. Uh, pineapple on pizza? Yeah, try. Try it, beautiful. Cross, oh, CrossFit. Try or no try. <laughs> oh, look, I have tried it, but it's not me. There we go. Thanks, Bert. JP's um, a cross, CrossFit fiend, so I love it whenever, whenever anyone says no try to that one. It's a daily battle against the dad one. Uh, the four defensive. <laughs> Uh, again, I've tried it, but not a massive fan. <laughs> <laughs> or the leave. <laughs> um, Fortnite. Yeah. What one? Fortnite. If you don't know what it is, it's probably no. a no try. No, 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 I do. No try. No try. 14 year old son, he's, he's just addicted to it. So, no, no try. Yeah. Half of the Super 15 or Super 18 is addicted to it, too, I think. Um, and the last one, I don't quite get this why you put this in here, but Bone Crusher. Bone Crusher, try, definitely. Yeah, try. surely it's try. It's a no-brainer, mate. Absolutely. But look, I guess yeah. it's um, taking us into racing, mate. And um, so you're based up in Matamata now, or, or certainly in the kind of Waikato region there? Yeah, Matamata, yep, right in the heart of Matamata. So it's, um, yeah, it's something quite different when you're from... I guess you know the lower South Island, and and you're sort of now up in the in different pastures up here in the Waikato. But we're loving it. We've got we've only got sort of ten acres. I get a lot of grief from my mates about being a plastic farmer, but we're learning every day. And we've got some horses here, and dogs, and cats, and all sorts going on. So really enjoying it, and it's a nice change of pace as well from some of the uh, the faster lanes that we kind of operate in over the last fifteen years. It's nice to be able to just relax around. A bit of land and and um, you know just sort of sink your teeth in a bit of farming life. Well, not really farming life, but it's ten acres. You know, that's plenty. Nine and a half more than I know what to do with. Yeah. <laughs> when did you first get in into the GGS in terms of um, either a syndicate or actually having an ownership in a horse? Um, well, I sort of. I mean, we were brought up on the bat sort of skirts of Fulbury Park harness racing, so I always sort of had a bit of affiliation for horses, but. Could never really afford to buy into any, and then probably um, you know started to uh, started to get um, get a bit more familiar with them as I played a bit more cricket, and um, and then it must have been about seven or eight years ago, sort of bought into a horse and had a bit of fun with that, and and now we uh, we run our own thoroughbred company, and we've got a um, we breed breed some horse in that too, so it's good fun and, and it's very expensive but you know it's also it's got some elements of it which are very similar to, to cricket and also rugby in terms of the patience and the and the um enthusiasm you get come race day or even just being around the animals themselves mm. so that tell us about, a bit about that excitement of i mean i've obviously watched a fair bit of racing but until, i've never owned a horse but you know you see that melbourne cup kind of finish and it goes to the owners and they're you know they're off their feet as the, as the horse goes at the line just how exciting is that and i guess even a parallel to to playing cricket i guess in terms of excitement levels um when your horse is out there running and, and winning races yeah and that's i guess why it really grabbed me too because it's not just what happens on race day it's everything that goes into it you know like we we go to the sales and we look and you look at the whole all the horses which are in the in the sales and the yelling um, sales there and then you go through and you sort of you know you keep dropping down your list to what you think a you can afford but also b you're falling in love with and then um and then once you walk out that door and you've parted ways with some of your hard earned then it's a matter of trying to prep a horse for 
for a campaign and there's no guarantees in it obviously but once you know if you are able to clear those hurdles and then get through to race day and then you know actually be very fortunate enough to go on and win a race it's just it's such a preparation phase which has gone into it which reminded me a lot of sport in general so um you know once your horse does have that success it's so hard in my opinion it's hard to capture that adrenaline anywhere else and you just yeah, I get more nervous watching horse races my my horses run than I than I do playing cricket. If that makes sense, it kind of does make sense actually because yeah, <laughs> when you go out swinging at the first ball or two, there's obviously you've already made up your mind and maybe that's part of your preparation about how you wanted to play the game. And um, is that sort of your attitude on life as well? And in other areas um, that, that you probably take on everything head on. Yeah, look, I definitely um, make a decision and try and make it work. That's what we're, you know, you try and do it. I mean, I think there's a, we have many opportunities where we can sort of sit and stay dormant and just let opportunities pass them by, but very much sort of of the opinion that you, you have a go at something. If it doesn't work or it doesn't matter, you get back up and go again. And that's sort of, you know, how I've always wanted to be in my life. And, and I, I'm very fortunate to have made a cricket career out of it and, um, you know, it's not. It hasn't always been plain sailing, but I've always managed to stay very strong in my beliefs about how I wanted to operate and how I wanted to carry myself as a person and the style of cricket I wanted to play. And and I think that's sort of symbolic in the life that, that myself and my family live as well. Um, I think the one thing that was always missing with the interpretation of how we went about our play or how I went about my play, I suppose, was it was always with an element of preparation behind behind as well. It, just, it was never gung ho, and that's something I've tried to do in life too is you prepare and and you plan and then you try and you know in the moment you try and be instinctive and and um that's you know I found my whole career on that and trying to do the same thing in the next stage of my life and I encourage my kids to do that too because I think it's too easy to not have a go at something and um, once you've had a go and you've managed to achieve something that empowers you to have another go at something else so it's an attitude I'm, I'm a firm believer in. Absolutely. And mate, um, when you look at the All Blacks, just drawing parallels between the All Blacks and the Black Caps, the AB is very well known for their sweep the shed ethos, you know, the respect for opponents, the humility after defeat or after victory. Um, and that, I guess that's something that you also instilled in the Black Caps, isn't it? Can you just talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, look, that's, um, I mean, I think it's just an extension of who we are as people. Right? I think New Zealanders, we are very humble, we're hard working with four and a half million people. If you're if you start sort of shouting yourself around too much, then someone's going to pull you back in a line. So, you know, you've got to um, you've got to be a representation of what your your people who support you and who you're representing are as well. And then once you're authentic to that, then then it becomes easy to just go out there and play the game that you love rather than trying to be someone that you're not. And I think, well, certainly in the early stages of my career, I I probably tried to be someone I wasn't. It wasn't until I accepted how what was actually authentic to me and not um, what I thought other people wanted to see in me, um, then we actually had a lot more success. And the All Blacks are definitely a, a catalyst for that. And that was one thing we tried to do. I think for 20 odd years, our New Zealand cricket lineup, we almost looked across the Tasman and Australia and looked at England and looked at other other cricketing teams and thought, well, we need to be more like them. And we had the greatest example right in front of us. And yeah, it's a different sport, but it's the same skill set and same, well, same um, I guess attitudes required and 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 the, and, um, the All Blacks. So we tried to just look at what really worked for them and how they were represented and and how they portrayed themselves in the public. And 
why the public are endeared to the All Blacks as well. And once we sorted that out and we, you know, we got the good people in the right seats on the bus heading in the right direction, mm. then it's amazing how quickly we were able to actually gain success. And, and we, we had our challenges throughout, but it always felt like we were going to, you know, we were there or thereabouts. And even if we got beat, we're going to be tough to beat. And that's, and I think that's all that New Zealanders want to see from their sporting teams outside of the All Blacks is they just want to see a team which is playing with plenty of passion, plenty of pride, plenty of humility and respect for the opposition and the game itself. And also, hopefully, they succeed. But otherwise, if not, they're hard to beat. And uh, we'll never compete with the All Blacks because 92% winning ratio is outrageous. But, you know, we, we can certainly, um, can, uh, I guess, hold ourselves in the right manner. And I think we've earned a lot of respect around the world and also learned a lot of respect um, in, in our own country for how the team operates. And under Kane, they've gone to a new level all again. And mm. uh, it's really it's humbling to see them do that. And, you know, I'm very, very proud of having a small part to play in it all. And, and uh, you know, it's nice to now just be a fan and watch them go about their work and know that, if they ever need you to uh, to talk to or to lean on, then um, you're there for them, and, and they know that, and it's a nice nice spot to be in. Yeah, mate. There's a there was a bit of a change in the team, and and it was certainly noticeable after the death of Phil Hughes. And um, I've heard you talk about it on the Howie Games podcast actually. That there's not it wasn't a, I don't think, and I'm I'm sort of asking whether it was or not an overnight decision, but um, there seemed a like a a real change in attitude from the team and um, and what happened in that test seemed to then transform New Zealand test cricket, but also sort of started a trend a little bit around the world. And um, I, just going back, and it was probably a really tough time for you guys. And I know you, I think at one stage you were planning to actually cancel the test match and then you both decided to play on. Um was that something you guys sat down and talked about or did it just naturally happen and you went out and smacked, was it like 600 runs and it was um, quite yeah. an unbelievable moment? Yeah, look, it was it was an unbelievable moment. I mean, it was obviously the most tragic circumstances as well. And but we, never, we never protested being um, great friends with Phil, but what Phil was, was A, he was a bloody good bloke and we, you know, those who knew him, Held him in high regard, but he was also he was he was he was one of us, and the fact that that could have been any one of our teammates at that point in time, and I think that really hit home to everyone. And we're away from home, um, under pressure as it was, and and you know sometimes that can just manifest itself amongst the group as well, and the feeling of just genuine, you know, um, well, like couldn't believe that something so tragic could happen, just started to really really fester within the group. And to be honest, it was the hardest point from a leadership um, you know, from, from a leadership challenge that I had throughout my entire tenure, not just as a cricketer, but so far probably throughout my life to try and be a part of galvanising a group of men who are genuinely heartbroken and don't really want to play the game, which they, they always thought was fun. Um, but now it sort of had become a bit more life and death. So um, that was really difficult. I, had, I was very fortunate. We had some good people around us. Um, you know, Mike, Mike Sandal, the manager, and Mike Hess and the coach, and some good senior players. Dan Vittori was back for that test match as well and his steadying hand and, and his calm sort of demeanour was crucial for me. Um, plus, you know, some of our senior players and also Gilbert Anoka, who's obviously very well known to the All Black mm. setup, um, was a huge source of, um, you know, just knowledge for me and also he, he just was able to... I was able to talk to him quite freely with 
with the motion, yeah, he was able to steer um, myself in a direction which I was able to then assist in, in trying to pull a team together. And, and in the end, all we did was we just said, just go and have fun, treat the, treat the game with respect. It's, the game doesn't matter, so to speak. Um, just go out there and play and you know, just be with, with one another and, and um, just try and you know, get through the game and, and be as respectful as we could to Phil and Phil's family. And, and the irony was what it actually did was just stripped away any ounce of um, fear of failure or, uh, or nerves from, from a team. And we just went out there and played literally with zero um, ambitions whatsoever. And we, just, we tried to just hit sixes and treat the team with, with respect and you know, get on with it. And the irony was we ended up with our most successful ever win or most comprehensive win away from home in, uh, in the Middle East. And, and that was against a team who had just given it to Australia in the series before. So, and then I think what that did was kind of fed on to how we wanted to play from that point on is, you know, if in doubt, just take the aggressive option because it is literally just a game. And, and um, you know, I think that really uh, was a catalyst for, for the freedom that we were able to operate in, even though it was a trying circumstance. And, you know, we, we wish it was with us rather than us stumbling on something like that but um but yeah it was a tough time but we managed to try and make the best of it it really seems to be it's removing that fear of failure isn't it i mean cricket's such a pressurized sport and there's just that one mistake and you're out but you remove that fear of failure it's if you're out you're out you can't do anything about it go and play your game it seems to be that's it's that different mental approach is what made a big impact for yeah the absolutely cricket is the most Bizarre game to a degree, like you mean the formula life, and and you know prepared absolutely to the minute and be ready to to run a, a huge race, so to speak. And someone may happen to bowl a delivery which is unplayable, or you may get a bad decision, or you may make one mistake in in a five day game. And next thing, you know, now all of a sudden you're starting to second guess yourself, and the doubt creeps in that you've had a low score, and now this. You know, you're under pressure again, and then do I next time in that situation do I stick or do I twist? And and that's kind of and that's where the game is so. You know, anyone that can have longevity in the game, I find quite mentally strong because you've got to overcome so much that you can't control and still be able to get up back off the canvas and still play your game and still um, I guess release that that fear of failure and and still try and play the way that gives you the most amount of satisfaction and. Um, you know, it was a very tough game, um, but it's uh, certainly got its rewards as well. And you know, I always said that I was never going to be the most consistent of players because I just didn't have the mental capacity to deal with needing to be consistent every game. But for me, I sort of worked out that if I could chase great moments and try and have those that drug where you're in total control of a game and you're where everything is happening at your pace, um, then you can make an impact on the world stage and make an impact too. To the game itself and so I always I was happy with that I could handle the, the low scores because I'd worked that out in my own head that, that was how I wanted to play so I was a bit fortunate that's yeah that, that's pretty cool actually because my question you've, you've actually already answered was how do you deal with the the low scores in between um, and and in terms of just your mental state and I know you in your mind you said hey look you know look I'm gonna trace the big ones and the big ones or outweigh the little ones but were there times when you did actually battle a little bit and you started to question your ethos or your methodology? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was heaps of times where I sort of went through that. Um, 
but sort of more, I guess, as I got older and as I got closer to the end, you kind of, um, you know, like, you're not trying to protect anything anymore. You just know that one day it's going to finish up, so you want to play the game the same way that you started it, really. You know, when you are young and you sort of, you don't think about what can go wrong, you think about what you're going to do right on the day. And uh, it's only when there's more at stake that, uh, that you start to, you know, you start to change that, that mentality. So, you know, I definitely had it early, in the early parts of my career as well. And you always have that feeling as well that people are going to take something away from you and that you're not ready for that yet. Um, whereas when you sort of get a bit closer to the end, it's a lot easier to just accept that, um, that this is how you're going to play and this is this is the, the way that is going to give you the most amount of sex, uh, satisfaction and come, uh, come what may, you're, you're happy to play like that. Absolutely, mate. Hey, and just to dial it back a little bit to the start of your career. Now, um, I was over in Aussie. I'm about your age, um, Baz, for that um, ODI series, 2001-2002. I was following the team around, watching those games. And as an 18-year-old kid, it was just amazing to go into these big stadiums and, you know, for the Black Caps to be on that stage and consistently beat Australia. But then you were out there at the same age playing, mate, against these legends, Shane Warne and McGrath and Ponting and Damien Martin. How was it at that age to go onto that stage that you've only seen on TV and play against these absolute legends? Yeah, look, uh, I mean, in all honesty, I was nowhere near prepared enough for that, not just technically or mentally, but even life skills. You know, I was, I was a young kid come out of come out of South and Eden and sort of, I wasn't ready for the big wide world, even though you try and coax yourself into it and you make all sorts of outlandish, bullshit statements that you do when you're a bit younger. But... Um, <laughs> But at the same time, you know, I would never have changed it either because the lessons that I got taught there and the, you know, the ass kicking that I got from performing badly um, just made me hungry to, you know, I always, in my entire life, I always wanted to be a black capper and all black and that was what I wanted to do and, and I was steadfast in my belief that I was going to be able to do it even though I may not have had the most amount of talent to do so. I felt like I, that was what... I guess my destiny was and when I then got given the opportunity and then played so poorly and realised I was so far away from what was required, then it meant that I had to go back and work bloody hard to uh, to resurrect things and and give myself another opportunity and knowing that, that maybe even the next opportunity might not have been uh, might not have been one that I was gonna take. I still had to sort of get back up and try again and you know, thankfully, um, from that point onwards I was able to secure a spot for a long period of time. Um, even though you know, and I wasn't always uh, consistent, I wasn't always performing at the level that I needed to. Um, I was lucky enough that uh, lucky enough that I was able to get myself um, back in the in the team, and and then uh, another opportunity once once I did that, I was able to take it. Hey mate, to be fair, uh, Mark Richardson stitched you up in one of those innings, so I don't think you did too badly. <laughs> He's got a different turn of events to how that will unfold it, but uh, the thing is that it's all on TV. Everyone can understand it, and Richie Benno's comment at the time will uh, means a lot more than Mark Richardson's comment, even though he is now a superstar of the block. And he's, he, he does everything, doesn't he? He's, he's got his fingers in a lot of pies. Hey, mate, raising... Um, and he is, name, he's, like the, he's like the media mercenary, right? Yeah, he, like, he's absolutely everywhere. Um, Can I ask him a quick question? Yeah, Mark, did you ever read Mark Richardson's book, Thinking Negatively? Oh, I saw the title and I played with him, so I didn't need to write the book, to be honest. I didn't need to read the book. <laughs> well, I actually read that book years ago. I was yeah. really impressed, actually, that someone with that amount well, of skill 
achieved that much. Mm. Yeah, no, he was amazing actually because like, he was a classic case of someone who identified his strengths, understood his weaknesses, and was going to just factor in a whole lot of discipline um, to give himself the best chance. And look, there's no possible way in hell I could play that way or go about playing cricket or wanted to play cricket like he did. But I have an amazing amount of respect for someone that can do what he did and and, um, and carve out a career, which has now led to another very successful career. So, you know, I've taken my hat off to him a little bit. Yeah. He run me out on my first exam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if we ever get him on the show, mate, we'll remind him of that. Hey, um, you mentioned Richie Beno, mate, and just talking about commentators. So, Smithy is someone that... Um, Smithy is someone that commentates also rugby um, and did some great calling um, with the Cricket World Cup. Can you just chat to us about Smithy, um, your take on him as a caller and as a man? Yeah, look, Smithy, I, um, you know, I think his, what he's been able to do in his career as a broadcaster is absolutely amazing. I think the way, what he's, I guess the status that he holds around the world as a broadcaster when you travel to the likes of Australia and England and I've done a little bit of that commentary work, so you get to speak to the guys about, um, you know, the, especially the New Zealand guys, and, and they just hold him in the highest, the absolute top echelon of, of broadcasters around the world. He's he's phenomenal to be able to cross codes like he has as well and make the impact that he does. He always just he nails the moment, I reckon, and it, and he does it with emotion and and um, he, he puts you almost you in the position as a fan, um, like you're experiencing it, and uh, you know. Oh, I had an amazing amount of adulation for him as as a kid growing up. So I was obviously a wicket keeper when I was younger. And Smitty, I remember watching him throughout the '92 World Cup and you know, around that sort of vintage. And um, you know, obviously held him in, in such high regard. And then that can be the the problem when you come into international sport and you're a bit nervous and you're sort of you're not 100% sure of your skills. And then you have a few low scores. And commentators being commentators, they have to broadcast what's going on and they have to. They can't always be positive, and and sometimes you know as a play you take offence to that. It's not until you step away from the game that you actually realise that those guys are there to do a job as well, and and you you have a bit more respect for that. And you know Smitty and I towards the end of my career um, got on uh, you know got on really well, and and I have a huge amount of respect for him um, as a as a broadcaster and also as a person. Hey mate, what would your dream commentary combination be if you could choose three commentators, past or present? What would that what would that lineup look like? Sound like? Uh, definitely Richie Beno. Um, uh, um, Bill Laurie, surely. Uh, Bill Laurie? Yeah, <laughs> in his vintage, yeah, Bill Laurie. I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Because it's sort of, you know, I think the, the commentators now, the T20, it's a different game as well, so. The commentary is very, very different. Um, you know, I think Smitty would, would, would be in there as well. Yeah. Maybe Bill Laurie or... Danny Morrison? You know, Tony Gregg. I enjoyed I enjoyed Tony Gregg. And um, I actually quite enjoyed Henry Blofield as well. Yeah, he was a ripper. Mate, what's... Can you... Just a little diversion to Danny Morrison now to think about it. Mate, do, do you get to see him when you're over in the IPL? Or was he, like, living in a castle somewhere? <laughs> No, no, you get to see him. Yeah, you run into him every now and then. So that's that's thirty seconds of high octane that you uh, that you get when you when you run into him. But well, he's carved out a great career as well, and 
and um, finding his niche on that more subcontinent type circuit. And you know, they love him over in over in India, especially. They they love the energy that he brings, and yeah, you can only but have respect for guys that can find a, another career in, in this game that they've already been successful in. So yeah, Danny's uh, he's doing well. He's he's also embraced their culture too. I think which they seem to respect as well. He's certainly integrated himself and. Um, uh, the, 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 yeah, in New Zealand, everyone would sort of complain he's a bit too much because we're quite, you know, we love to cut people down really quickly. But um, it is pretty cool, and I just, you know, he, he just does bring a bit of excitement, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah he does. Yeah, absolutely. They do respect him hugely for that too. And you know, sort of spoke to Danny um, when I was over in India, and he talked about that well, he's quite theatrical as well. So he kind of it's his stage where he can sort of act a little bit, and he quite enjoys that. And I think T20. It, it actually wants that too. It demands it. It is entertainment, you know, yeah. first and foremost, and that's why it's such a big stage. So, yeah, he's doing really well. Now, the boys, this might cut out soon because when we're in Matter Matter, it's, uh, the old bone tower's not so flash, so we're going out to check out some horses. So, we cool, cut that out and you can well, just make up the rest of the story. Well, we'll, we'll wrap it up pretty quickly here, mate. Um, we've got a few rapid-fire questions um, from fans. Uh, yeah. One from me, actually, to begin with. Um, mate, would you like to see a New Zealand team in the Big Bash? 100%. Beautiful. How do you think that would look, that team? Would it be a North Island, South Island team or a New Zealand Warriors type um, countrywide? Or how would you how would you see it happening? Oh, I reckon New Zealand players should be able to play as locals for an Australian franchise and vice versa. So I'd think it, I'd see it as a bit of a hybrid, but it would be a team which we could get in behind very much like the Warriors. Beautiful. Mate, I, I will consider you as uh, backing that team with a bit of, bit of dosh, mate. Uh, Melvin Worth from Twitter has asked... <laughs> I'm <laughs> in the horses, remember? <laughs> uh, well, you know, mate, I've, Melvin, I've got a couple of questions for social media. Here we go. Melvin Worth from Twitter says, what is the most memorable six, six you've hit in your career? Oh, jeez. Most memorable. Uh... Probably the one off Dale staying in the World Cup semi-final. I sort of came down the wick and hit him sort of mm. back over his head. Because he'd given me nightmares in the past. So it was sort of, it was nice yeah. to, what everything was at stake to be able to get one out of the screws. Not the Sean Tate down on one knee over the head at 150 k's? Yeah, maybe that too. But that was more self-preservation. And also, there was no way that I could hit him six in front of square. So it was <laughs> like, well, the only option is to try and hit him behind square. That's some scary stuff. Cam Woods from Instagram. Which All Black would you have liked to have in your Black Cap side? Now, the current All Black? Current or, yeah, past or present. Up to you. Oh, well, can I have three? One time. Voting about Richard McCaw and Dan Carter. Who was that? So Richard McCaw, Dan Carter, who was the other one? And Bowden Barrett, you know oh, that was quite good at first five. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Did you, did you ever face Israel Dag? Is he a little bit younger than you? Yeah, I saw him bowl. He, he was quite, quite quick actually. He was. Were well, we referring to their cricket ability or their personality? You don't really define the question. Yeah, there, yeah. I think it was more um, cricketing ability. Oh, okay. All right. Um, uh, well, Israel Dag would have to be up there, wouldn't he? I think Kieran Reid was pretty handy as well. Yeah, he made he made reps for sure. Yeah, yeah, and actually, Carl Heyman, I played a little bit of cricket with. He went alright. Really? That's left field. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
Yeah. Beautiful. Um, Harrison from Instagram asks, who would you prefer to open with in a T20, Chris Lynn or Kane Williamson? Oh, this is a terrible question. It's like <laughs> talking about uh, which one's your favourite son or favourite daughter. Like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a toughie, mate. Kane, Kane, okay, I'll answer. So Kane, he would be like the ultimate person for your daughter to marry. Does that make sense? Absolutely loving the birds. He's a genius career. Chris Lynn is the fella you want to be having a beer with at the pub after the races. And he's... Uh, yeah, he's a Ripton fella as well, and he hits four miles. So, I'd I'd say Chris Lynn. Chris Lynn. Lynn don't take any offence, Ken. Mate, and we had a, quite a lot of people ask about the relevance of number forty-two. I uh, got given it when I was um, when I first played for New Zealand, and then since then I've fallen in love with it. It's quite a cool number, though. Eh? Anything special about number forty-two? No, not nothing special about it. Um, but yeah, it's obviously it becomes special to you when you wear it on your back for a long period of time. No doubt. Hey, mate, and just uh, real quickly, look, have you got any horses horse right, horses running soon? Because um, well, we need to build up the uh, our coffers for a bit of a lads' weekend. I've got nothing running shortly, but um, there's a horse in Australia called Winks, which goes right. So just back that next start, you should be okay. Well, Michael Hughes normally gives me my tips and he hasn't been giving me anything decent lately. So if you see Hughes here, uh, give him a <laughs> he's, he's sitting next to me. He's driving the car as we're going out to have a look at some of our horses. So. Uh, tell him to sort his tips out, <laughs> would you? That's from JP. <laughs> <laughs> JP. Uh, hey, th- thanks very much, mate. We really appreciate you jumping on the uh, on the show. And uh, look, all the best for the, um, the, the horse season. And, and the CPL, Caribbean oh, Premier yeah, League. Yeah, yeah. Look after that body. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, lads. Yeah, yep. And uh, Hughesy is the uh, manager of the B team here at UMS. So, you know, he's, uh, he's obviously... <laughs> is he looking for some more players? Yeah, he's looking for some more players. So if you've got a set of boots... Actually, we've got some communal boots. Don't worry about boots. Just turn up. <laughs> All right. I'll, uh, I've got a free weekend. I'll drive up. Uh, we'll sort out smoke on a Monday then. <laughs> so Cheers. Great, Thank you very Thanks much, guys. Cheers, Brendan. All right, thanks, boys. Thanks, See you. Have a good one, mate. Bye. See you. Bye.